BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So, so yeah, um, Jim Norton started, uh, uh, I guess we were all 10, we were in fourth grade, and I guess, like, you know, the nervous new kid. You've been the new kid in school. And, you know, you're the new kid. Everybody's either going to, like, make fun of him or he's got to react real quickly. Yeah. And so he started just being, like, hilarious. And, like, from day one, we said, you're going to be a comedian. Yeah, uh, and uh, then it was really surprising to me. He's talking on the podcast how he started bombing um, when he first started being a stand-up. Yeah. And I was like, Jim, I don't understand. Like, you were, like, the guy. Like, you were 80 times funnier than anyone else in school. How could you bond, uh, bomb? And he made the interesting point that um, he, wa- he was just going up there and telling jokes. Right. And that you really have to know the audience. Um, you, you really well, have to— Well, he was saying also that your relationships is with, you have with people, are they know you. So it's like it's already informed. What well, what do you There's mean? The relationship you have with people. Right. So they get it. So like when you go up in front of an audience, they don't know you. Right. So right. you have to like get them you have to connect with them in order for them to get the joke. And some people can connect faster. Yeah, and so he had to learn in order to be a good stand up, he had to learn more than being funny, because he was already funny. He had to learn how to connect with the audience. Yeah. Which maybe he wasn't used to because he was always like kind of the shy kid. He had, like, a suicide attempt. He always was, like, off a little bit. Um, but I heard in one of your interviews, and by the way, we're, we're totally recording right now. Oh, so, we? yeah, <laughs> we're, we, we cold so started. So, yeah, didn't even didn't even let you know. Oh, I love it. So, Marina Franklin, I'll, I'll describe you more in a second, but I want to I learn more because you said in one of your interviews recently how you were always really good at, I don't, I forget the phrase you used, not controlling the room, but, like, you you would win over the room right away. Like, right. that was your first skill from, like, you were like a baby doing that. And, yeah. uh, like, how do you do that? And then I'm going to totally describe who you are. <laughs> By the way, I, uh, I we finished your Wikipedia. You have a Wikipedia page now. You guys are so awesome. my assistant got your Wikipedia page up yesterday. Yes, well, here we are. More. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> I don't know if I know how I... I think it's just you either have that or you don't. I know that sounds kind of cruel because people want to know how you how can you capture room. But th- not everyone can be the preacher, right? It's like sort of like the Peter, you know, like, you know, le- leading the people off. It's like you either have that talent where you could capture a room of people 
or you don't. And I don't really know. I think it started in high school where I have the teacher. There was this woman in homeroom. Her name was Miss Bird. Who Great name. I know, right? You tore that name apart, right? <laughs> You did not let her she get looked, away with that she name. She looked like Of course. A bird. What else is she going to look like? A dinosaur? <laughs> <laughs> and she was, um, it was homeroom. You know, like homeroom where you like, I don't know, that period where. It's like the reason, nothing period. You just period. sit there and you're like doing nothing. And um, so she sort of took me on. She saw I was like troubled. And she Why were you troubled? Well, I had, uh, my parents were at the time separated. They had been separated, but it was like this sort of like visitation rights was going on. And so it was like staying with my father on the weekend was questionable whether I could or whether I couldn't. I was fighting with my mother a lot. I was a teenager. And so I wrote a lot of poetry, a lot of angry poetry. I was about to say a lot of angry porn that almost came out of my <laughs> mouth. mouth. But a lot of angry- It actually ended up, by the way, coming out of your mouth, but... <laughs> Well, we'll gloss over okay. that. <laughs> but so I wrote a lot of angry poetry and I would write it in homeroom when we were doing nothing and she noticed it. And she was like, you should do something with this. And I was like, she's like, this is really, this is really good stuff. And she's like, you know what? They're going to have the graduation speech. Why don't you prepare the speech for graduation and I'll help you audition I'll tell everyone that you're gonna do it let's just get it together so she she like and it was weird because like everyone made fun of Miss Bird so it was like when you're at that age you're like I don't want to be cool with her because no one else likes her but at the same time I was like yeah well she's paying attention to me so I kind of secretly like would meet up with her <laughs> like at night <laughs> but then like I would in tell a bar. Friends, like yeah she's weird and like she smoked she had this horrible smoking breath and it's like yeah you talk about her but at the same time it was like this woman's helping me so she would really get on me about how to speak how to how to like enunciate the words how to have passion behind what I was saying and eventually like I put this like like graduation speech together i think the first line was something like goodbye past hello future very angry <laughs> yeah that was, that was my graduation speech so and they loved it and then i performed it and my mom was there my father was there and and my stepdad was there and i remember my dad looking at me and going wow like, how did you, like, that was really, like, I seeing your father being amazed by you was, like, that first sort of beat or moment for me where I was like, I think I have something here. Because, like, I had the room. So that's interesting. So more even than the words you said was kind of the... Uh, kind of magnetism across the room that he noticed, that everybody noticed. And so what do you, th- I, I, I not so sure I believe that it can't be learned because you said not everyone could be a preacher, but it tends to be that preachers' children become good preachers because they're seeing, they're learning so much from their father or whatever. I a preacher's child that was horrible. Really? Okay, <laughs> so maybe boring. it doesn't get. Uh, yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering what, because every Every guy who does public speaking needs to somehow relate to the audience. And I find so few do. 
Like everybody has their PowerPoint and they want to have flashy images on their PowerPoint. They want people to look away from them at the PowerPoint. They forget that they need to connect to the audience. So what would be like the one or two things you think you do have that can be taught? Like, and you said this teacher went over with you every word, every... Yeah, she taught me every... She taught me something I didn't know, which was how to take these words and put emotion behind it. So you can actually teach that, but not everyone has, let's say, the voice to capture a room. You have a really bad voice that's just annoying, and maybe a room full of people don't want to hear that voice. It's just... Not a popular God, voice. That's sad. Not gonna happen for you. I hope. Uh, I have to give a lot <laughs> of talks. You. I hope. I, I hope I don't have that problem. <laughs> Maybe I do because. And uh, Nathan here will know, or our last audio engineer on my last book. The very last review is. Um, I was really turned off by the narrator's voice, but uh, but then then we caught on. We they still like the book, and it was it was Claudia and me both doing the book. So wow. hopefully it was her voice. Like she has a really weird voice, but she uh, has an accent. yeah, Argentina. It's nice. Yeah, she's got yeah, the whole she, thing going on. Venezuela. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was very good how she did that, Venezuela? right? She's you're you're winning over the room out there. So well, so she's also a marina. Yeah, yeah, it's too. She that's her middle name. The place where you uh dock boats. So 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 what then got you started? Well, first of all, let me introduce you. So Marina Franklin, one of my favorite comedians, and I'll tell you how I first heard you. I was driving my daughter around and uh, my daughter is 12 years old and we we always listen to the Comedy Central or um Sirius XM channel on the in the car. By the way, I don't have a driver's license, so don't tell anybody that I was driving my 12-year-old around. That's no very one w- typical of a New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> we live a little outside of New York, but oh, okay. um, and my license was taken away. It's a whole story. Oh, but um, we, we, you came on, and you're telling, you're, you're, you're doing your act, and uh, both my 12-year-old and I were laughing. And so it's one of those first moments where... It's like we were both doing something together. You know how, like, with, like, a 12-year-old, you kind of have, like, you would never willingly be friends with a 12-year-old. But, like, so now here's something where we were both bonding on something at the same time was your jokes. Like, we were both laughing at the same things. Oh, that makes me feel good. I brought father and daughter together. Yes. In laughter. Exactly. So, huh. so you controlled our car. Family laughter. I like so so you do you're, you're a stand-up comedian you tour all over but also I've seen you now on inside Amy Schumer one of my favorite TV shows you've opened I didn't even know this until yesterday actually but you open regularly for Jim Norton who's been on the you. podcast yeah. yeah and uh of course I grew up with him so so I know him we we lost touch for you know only 30 years but then he came on my <laughs> podcast and then um are you gonna be on his show vice? Yeah, I did two sh- episodes, but um, I'm not sure where it's placed or mm-hmm. if that part will air at all. <laughs> and are you going to do—you uh, do all sorts of other stuff. Tell us what other stuff you, well, you do. Well, I was recently in Amy's movie. That Oh, was Women Who Kill? Well, Women Who Kills, which is streaming on Netflix. We've and, watched it. And that was with uh, Amy, Rachel Feinstein, and Nikki Glaser, and then me. So three Jews and you. <laughs> but actually, I grew up in Highland Park, Chicago. <laughs> so sort of like and black great, and white. <laughs> great. Wait, no. Yes. 
my great grandfather was Jewish, but I guess that does not make me Jewish. But uh, we could we can make you an honorary Jew. Yeah, and my father actually the reason I lived in Highland Park was that he wanted me to go to school with like Jewish kids. He believed that was the best education. That was my father. So it was Jewish kids and. A black girl. And, and now on a show with Jewish women, yes. Yes, excellent. <laughs> it somehow works its way in. It's well, like, well, I, I guess, was wired to do it. The thing is, if you grew up with, it's always interesting what's nature and nurture. Like, if you're growing up, um, let's say, with all white people or with all black people, those are the people that you're going to kind of get along with later, as opposed to who your DNA that you share or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's We're getting true. right into the topics of it's race here. But, uh, it's very true. So, yeah, so I did that. And then I did uh, Amy's movie this summer with Judd Apatow. I did oh, Trainwreck? Yeah, Trainwreck, uh, which will next summer. Excellent. And it was great. I did a scene with uh, Keith Robinson. and so We play a couple because we used to date, so people still put us together in all of their... Like if they ever you're like think, cat, you're you're it's like you're, you're what's it called when a character can't get away from one type of character uh, annoying <laughs> that could be so now every movie you're in you're gonna be going out with this guy Keith oh it, it's our dynamic because uh. we fight so much you know uh, and that's why you're not going out anymore yes and people enjoy it we have that thing that people just man and woman fighting thing that people love to watch and so we are always put together in something so Judd Apatow he probably didn't even have to like direct you in it he's like okay you guys just go at it yeah we didn't have because he's a very hands-off director yeah it was very easy (laughs) he was laughing (laughs) because he's like it's like true it's like now we were actually fighting in it but it's like we have our we've been in that situation where we've been a couple and we've been in fights with other people too so we didn't have to go far for the characterization at all. And did Judd like the scene? Yeah, it was it was great. At the rap party, our scene is actually shown. You know how they put the the clips, their favorite clips together. So ours was actually shown at the party. Oh, that's good. So now you know. Also, it won't be on the cutting room floor. Like you know, yeah, this will I be hope, in the movie. I hope, or maybe he's just trying to make me feel good. <laughs> I can't I wait to so. see that movie because he's my my favorite director and. Now that I know you're in it and Amy's in it, it's all good. Yeah, I'm the sweetest person in the world. Mm. I can't, just like kindest person, funniest person you talk to about just about anything, just really. Well, you look at like Freaks and Geeks is one of the best TV shows ever, and then Super Bad is probably the best movie ever until Trainwreck. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, so I so I've just been doing that and. And I'm doing my own little podcast. Uh, Friends Like Us, right? Friends Like Us, yes. Featuring uh, women of color with very different views on hot topics. Don't you, do you like my little tag there? I, I do. I, I like that. I rolled it off. Women of color. Yeah. So hot topics. So, so you get, like, you're hitting every Rachel button. could be a part. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel actually like came to our podcast after we were working out and we were at the Kami Cellar like, recording and... And she was like, oh, can I? I was like, no, it's women of color. She got really sad. <laughs> I have a color. He's <laughs> like, so I had to call her the next day. And I said, Rachel, you are a woman of color. Yeah. You had to make it up to her. Yes, I did. Do you? But you didn't let her in the podcast? Well, she, yes, I will eventually. But I have to have 
a strong color for a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then we will let her in next week. Then you can go lighter shades. <laughs> yes. Because so, white's a color. That is true. That is true. So and then um, you do a lot of touring, and you were you were just telling me you emceed at the Comedy Cellar last night. Who mm-hmm. who performed? Well, last night we had um, Aziz Ansari was the first comedian, so the audience just went nuts because they it's it wasn't announced. You know, he shows up, so they were getting a really good show. And then right after that is Louis C.K. I can't believe that. So so again, like why aren't 10,000 people just showing up at the Comedy Cellar every night hoping to see all these great comedians. They are. It does feel that way. Yeah? Yeah, that, that place is, they are killing it. And like people the, are lining up. Did Louis C.K. try out new material? Like, do yeah, one of his jokes. Does. Oh, I, I was upstairs nursing my, my sinus infection. <laughs> but you were emceeing between each. Yes, I was. Emceeing is hard because you have to be kind of the stand-up all the all night, like you have you're, to be on. you have to do your act like between every other act. Yeah, not something I prefer to do, by the way. I'm nope. putting it out there. I don't like to be the master of ceremony. <laughs> but you're good at, and again, you're good at riffing with the audience, so you could kind of go on the fly pretty well, as well as doing your act. I am, and then I'm not. Like it's funny because Jim Norton actually told me this early on when I first started when I used to host at the cellar years ago and I kind of stopped and now I'm doing it again. But um, I was actually not good at talking to people like and really paying attention to everything they had to say. Like people in the audience? Yes. And Jim, (laughs) and I was still young enough that I wasn't aware of my own like sort of, I guess, awkwardness or awfulness. But Jim thought it was hilarious. And so he absolutely pointed it out. He was like, oh, my God, I love it. (laughs) I was like, what did I do? He goes, you absolutely don't care what they have to say. What does the audience have to say? Well, I would ask because I thought I had to. You know, you have this idea of what you're supposed to do as a host. So you go, hey, where are you from? And they would say Kansas. And I go, Okay. Oh, yeah. In the middle of the country. Yeah. And then I'd start walking away from them and going to someone else. And Jim just loved it. It was so awkward. It was so awful. And he had this great... That's what I love about Jim is those moments that no one else sort of gets as being like your your pain or that just awfulness. Jim brings shines a light on it. And it brings him joy. <laughs> well, he said something very interesting also in my podcast, which is that... When you first go on the stage, nobody knows you're nervous. So you kind of have to like totally go into this persona and they don't know what you're really feeling like behind the scenes in your head. And but if they sense that you're nervous, they'll get you like they'll kind of call you on it. Well, it's true. Maybe for him. Like I kind of I heard him say that. But I kind of play with the nervous energy. I like to do that. And that comes from like sort of my acting background is like wherever I am, wherever I am in the moment, I don't push past that. If I'm feeling um, tired, I'll acknowledge that I'm tired on stage the moment I get up there. Because if I don't, if I sort of and I'll I'll do a sort of a little bump up my energy past like the 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 regular tired, like I won't be like, you know, but um, I will sort of let that energy play itself out on stage and see where that takes itself. And that's like, that's from an acting background, really. Well, and I think you could see that in your act. Like you have obviously 
multiple voices in your act. So you're not just going up there and ranting about a topic. You you play characters. Like the one with the the baby, you're yelling in her voice. You're like also the scared woman running away, you know. Then you're doing the I'm silent thing. The scared woman running away, by the way. Just so you know. Well, but That's you do it very well. Yeah. So and I think the audience likes a non-hero. So the audience is also scared and vulnerable in their daily lives. So they want to know, oh, here's this person on stage I paid to see, mm-hmm. and she's also scared and vulnerable. So I think people relate to that quite a bit, and that could be part of your uh, way you relate so much to the audience. Which actually sort of challenged me early on doing, like, black rooms or urban rooms or whatever, because I s- would start with that vulnerable place and in those rooms that can be bad, <laughs> you know, because a lot, like a lot of times I would have comedians go, you got to go up there. You got to scream. You got to shout. You got to be like, and I'm like, but I'm just not like that. So can I just start from a real place? What are you talking about? <laughs> just go up there. Tell them where you're from. <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay. And then I'd go up there and I'd go, Hi. My name is Marina. It um, means a place where you dock boats. Ooh. <laughs> right, they didn't want it. Yeah. Because you sound like a white girl. Yeah. But, I, you know, and I learned eventually how to get them on my side in the way that I want to do it. Okay. How did you do that? Um, well, I started coming from a place that they could relate to. Look, they... Like, I'm not they. That's so crazy when I'm black and I go, they. Um, But, like, I had at the time, I was doing these shows in Brooklyn. So I had a Haitian boyfriend, and I would just start talking about him. And in Brooklyn, there's a lot of Haitians. And doing that accent connected immediately with the audience. So, yes. So, yeah, that, like, brought them right in. And eventually, I was able to work myself back to doing my name joke early on because I had developed a confidence now with ah. the audience. And now I knew, I was like, okay, I know I'm going to get them. So now I'm just, I'm confident I could do this. That's interesting. So first you went on like common ground with them, with the, with those people. <laughs> yeah, with <laughs> and, those people. Yeah. <laughs> my people. Yeah. And, then, and then once you felt like you drew them in, then you could do whatever you want. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because I did Showtime at the Apollo, and um, I early on with the manager that I had at the time said I was the only client, and this was he had Patrice O'Neill, and he had I forget who else, I think Donnell Rawlings, and he said I was the only one that didn't bomb because I like Patrice was great because Patrice at that time really was like not trying, he was just do what he you know he does, and and they were getting angry, you know. But I, since I had so much practice coming from that, I would start on stage at the Apollo. You have that little amount of time to get the audience. And I was not auditioning. I was the comedian to perform. But they would still boo that comedian. So I had... That's and I brutal. Remember, oh, it was brutal. And I remember my boyfriend was sitting in the audience and he said, he goes, I felt these guys, they were about to. They were like, <laughs> They were winding up. He goes, but you started doing the Haitian joke, and you had him. That's great. And that moment on, it's like, it was great. Well, I think there is some kind of study where you essentially need nine seconds to win over the audience. And after that, you've either won them over or not. Like, it's very hard. 
Well, yeah, I guess there is math involved. Yeah, nine seconds. I'm, br- I'm bringing it right down to the science. <laughs> wow, nine seconds. <laughs> I should have worn my lab coat here. I'm going to start timing myself. And the, Oh, and then another thing is, and this is, a, this is a, a lot of studies done in this, at 10 minutes, you need some sort of emotional pivot or peak or whatever, or they totally get turned off. They go to sleep. Really? Yeah. So you need to, you almost need like a different speaker at wow, the 10 minute really point. There's science to this that yeah. I'm not aware of. What book did I read that in? Do you know what book I read that in? <laughs> Maybe, oh, Power Cues by uh, Nick Morgan. So read Power Cues or Brain Rules by John Medina. I'm giving you all this homework. <laughs> I feel like it's just instinct. I feel like, you know what, it's either, for me, I think it's, it's an innate thing. It's like rhythm, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm a good dancer. So I think that you have a rhythm with the audience, um, and you that's another thing you either have or you do. Can you dance? I can't dance. I, you know what, though? <laughs> I can break dance. <laughs> I swear to God, when I was a little kid, tiny little kid, I was the vanilla popper. Okay. That was my oh, nom de plume. So, so that's what I, that was my— The vanilla popper? Yeah, that was my thing. And what was your move? All the stuff above the ground. So I wasn't really good at like windmills or anything like that, but anything mm-hmm. like above the ground I could do. You do a good like yeah, yeah, all thing. that. I'm not gonna do it here for Pop you now, lock. but yes, yeah, so all that stuff I could do. Oh, that's cute. And I still do it to this day every day. We all do our dance moves. Yes, still, that's what happens to us when we get older. They're like they're still doing the move they did like in eighth grade. That's how we stay young. Roger Rabbit. That's how, that's how you stay young. You have to mm-hmm. you have to run up the stairs two steps at a time, mm-hmm. and you have to break dance, oh, or whatever kind of dance. What kind of dance did you do? That electric boogaloo. Um, yeah, well, uh, the movie Break In. First time I saw Ice T. So. All right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jesus, ain't no stopping us. No stopping. That's it. That's I, my so, you, so you're singing. You're an actor, actress. Dancer, writer, I comedian. Did it all. How did you did you go to school for it, or you I just did. did? I did eventually. I mean, you know, it was one of those things where when I went to school, it was my father was even though he was very aware that I was this artistic person that wanted to perform, he still was like, going to college, you're going to go get a degree in something like serious well that's because let's just be clear he was a teacher also yes, right was. i did a little bit of my homework here you did so, i was i'm like blown away he's <laughs> your your mother scandalously was his student yes. in high school yes so just how did that happen like did he start going out I with his know, high school I student was there. <laughs> i was i was i was not even a thought yet <laughs> okay but you had to have asked at some point was she his student in high school I think she was... And then he got fired. I don't know if she was a student. I have to ask her that. I know that she saw him, she liked him, and she told me that she put, she walked past him in a certain way. She told me that she actually had it in her mind that he's going to look at me when I walk by. And she said it worked. Ah, I, I see. That, yeah. that look turned into you. Yeah, it turned into me. And so how long were they married? Well, for eight years. Okay. Yeah. Long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then until I was eight. So, yeah. That's basically. So he wanted you to get a degree. Yeah, he Because he was a teacher. And this is, uh, yeah, he was a science teacher, actually. Um, and he was very serious about, like, I'm not going to pay for you to go to college to, to be a, a theater major. 
So I went to University of Illinois, and I did still do a lot of theater. Like, I, I, I didn't really, you can't really minor in theater at University of Illinois, but I took as many intro to acting classes. I got to know my teacher there. She referred me eventually to Syracuse. Oh, really? So I went there for, to get my MFA. MFA in what? Which my dad let go, and he was like, she's going to do what she wants to do. Because Syracuse, I would say, has probably the second best MFA program for writing. You it know, because you have guys like Raymond Carver, Carver, Tobias Wolf, like all these great writers come from Syracuse. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, now I'm teaching you about your own well, school. Well, their MFA pro, their MFA acting program actually was awful. Ah. It was like, they, but their undergraduate acting program was amazing. Hmm. So that's where like Vera Farmiga comes from and Tay Diggs comes from there. Hmm. Uh, Vanessa Williams comes from there. Um, and so what happened is very like Arthur Storch is part of the method acting, the original actor studio. So that's why she told me go, even though she said the graduate program is somewhat new and experimental you will still get that training. So wait, you went undergraduate at University of Illinois, got the degree, and then went to graduate school in Syracuse? Yeah. You're like really well educated. Why are you so surprised? <laughs> because I have done a million podcasts and and books uh, saying people should not go to college anymore because it's a total oh, waste yes, of time. I have seen that, yeah. And you're, you're right. There you go. Okay, thank you for but at least uh, agreeing with me. Because I, I can't really think of much that I retained except for the theater stuff was good. Like, that was actual but, but if you acting had been, training is really, yeah, it's necessary. But if you had just, let's say you had just moved straight to New York St- City and started auditioning mm. for, like, Broadway, off-Broadway, taking a little acting class on the side, you don't think that would have been as good? No. I, mm. I, I personally don't. I think that's a different one. If unless it was a really good, so you have to know about good programs. There's so many actors out there, and there's so many people who claim to know how to teach theater. Mm. By the way, and mm. uh, if you have, you have someone who's coming from what's called the actor studio, with like what Marlon Brando went to and Al Pacino went to, like that is. These are the best actors. These are the best actresses. This is the real like. This is the craft of acting. Like, that is something you do have to sort of get behind and learn. And if you have that chance to work with those people, you should do that. So I'm never going to have that chance, but... Uh, I mean, I'm not saying <laughs> to you specifically, but to anyone who's listening to this, is like... You, Both my daughters are a little actors, so maybe they will yeah, uh, take this advice. Just do the research and make sure it's a good school. Like, NYU mm. acting program is, hands down, Yale school all of the best the girl who was just in 12 years a slave came from mm. yale all of the best actors actresses come from there and there's a reason for that you know and that's that's definitely training so so you didn't move your career though towards acting like did you ever go out to hollywood and try to do like a pilot or a sitcom or anything like that i you know what it is is like i i'm talking all this nonsense and then it really did <laughs> you're not talking nonsense <laughs> at all it really didn't do anything with that training, did I? But, well, I but you did, did, though, because, like, <laughs> your comedy is filled with acting, like, mm-hmm. more so than a lot of comedians. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I feel like Louis C.K. does a lot of acting in his comedy. Like, he'll do multiple voices and have conversations with himself on stage and so mm-hmm. on. And you do that as well. I don't know that many 
comedians that that do it. Amy Schumer does it a little bit. I think she's a very good actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but not that many comedians, you know, shift their voices all over the place. Right, that and, is true. And that and it's very funny to do that. I think like, the audience is almost trained. Like if someone gives a different voice, the audience laughs. And you think about it. What's the most popular form of entertainment is mu- music, and that's all voice work. So, you know, comedy with voices is maybe then one step removed from that, and it's, you know, the audience just laughs at that. That's true, yeah. Because I do, yeah, I guess, yeah. See, the thing with the the acting is it it was annoying to not act when I moved to New York, you know, because you have to audition. So and you didn't I like had all that training, all that stuff I knew, but I wasn't getting a part. I wasn't on stage. And even from like even in high school, like I was saying, I always found a way to perform. So I had to be on the stage. So and I was also at that time being very funny with people like my roommate. And even in Syracuse, someone told me I had done like a routine and I wasn't aware of it. So it was sort of in the back of my mind. Stand up, stand up, stand up. If this acting thing doesn't work out, just be the funny old lady at the bar. <laughs> and somehow that will work out financially. <laughs> yeah, and I said, I said, you know, so that first year of being in New York was sort of frustrating looking at backstage and trying to figure it out. And I, I was just not used to being on stage. I always was self-created. So I was like, I have to do this stand up. I have to try it. Because, and I would go to open mics, and I was like, I'm on stage. And I was like, I love this. I'm on stage. I'm on stage. Were you nervous the first time you did the open mic? Did you, Uh, like, write a lot of material beforehand? I, yeah, I did, I took a class. On comedy writing? Yeah, I took, uh, there I see, I'm anti-you. Right? (laughs) I took another (laughs) class. You took a class? No, taking a class is okay. Getting a degree, I don't don't like the expense of the degree. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So. Oh, God, No. Um, but yeah, I did take a class and a lot of comedians do get on me about, you took a class to do comedy, but I came from that school of thought with theater, which I didn't know does not really apply, by the way, to stand up. It's very different. Um, but I did take that time in that class to write out material and that sort of got me going. That gave me the sort of push to get on stage. What was like the first joke you did on stage? It was my name. Oh, okay. It's still my name. (laughs) It's Marina, a place where you dock boats. I used to do, because uh, uh, it introduces me so well, and it's just like saying my name. That's all it is. It, it's interesting because a lot of comedians start off with their background, almost as if I, like they're setting up their whole kind of, this is how you should um, cast me in a sitcom. Like, I'm this, 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 and then they make that funny. Mm-hmm. But you did it with... Your your name, and then you had some good follow ups from that. Like you say, take from that what you will. Like yeah. as a place well, where that, you dock boats. Part that's okay. Like years later, uh, when I became a woman, and I uh, made that joke a little more sexual. Uh, but in the beginning, it was just about the name, and it was just I, I would just talk about growing up in Chicago. I started off because I had a guy. His name was Lee Frank, and he was actually very good at getting me because he he knew that whole dynamic of me growing up in Highland Park, and then moving to the south side of Chicago, and he said, just talk about it. And so I was talking about, I was like, I went from a black neighborhood to a white neighborhood, so I'm kind of bilingual, and I could do black, I could do white. 
And um, I, you, you said I think one, and it was it was too late for me. I was white. Yeah. So, and I used to have a joke where I would say my mom tried to give me an afro, but she had shaped it into the continent of Africa. <laughs> So it didn't work. Or you, or another one you said you said you had a feathered afro. You were the only oh, person was, in school. That was on a, a podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I I used to say this the, the continent of Africa and it was so bad. The joke was like so contrived. And I said there was a part in it that looked like the Nile. Huh. There and you I, go. So see. <laughs> and so that was like my early stage of really trying to I don't know what I was doing. I remember some guy telling me he's like, well. I think, I mean, that Africa joke about your hair, it could work, but I don't really see how black people would really relate to that. <laughs> I mean, did you sit down and really, did you write that out? <laughs> so they were against the fact that you wrote material. It was too contrived. It was too, like, huh. it wasn't really, I wasn't conversational at the time, even though it's funny, like the image of this little girl with the continent of Africa. It's funny, but... It was just... Ugh. But it's interesting. So part of the act is being conversational with the audience. For me, yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. not every comedian's like that. Like, take, mm-hmm. like, a guy who's, like, a one-liner guy. He's mostly just telling his lines. Yeah, so, those are joke writers. Yeah. Joke right. Like, I like to have a relationship with the audience and really have them know where I come from and where I'm at in the moment and have it be an experience, like... And so, like... It's not so jokey. It's more storytelling. And it's funny because that does apply very much to what public speakers should do. Like, mm-hmm. you shouldn't just kind of talk uh, your theory or your science or your PowerPoint or whatever. People should still build that in- engagement with the audience, but most people don't. Comedians do. I always, this is why I love relating comedy with like every other aspect of life because. Uh, this is really what people should do is yeah. engage with the people you're communicating with and people forget to do that. Yeah. I think I think if you look at like things like like Daniel Tosh's sh- show where he has like YouTube videos and he makes fun of them and then you compare that with his stand-up act, the stand-up act is funnier because he's not distracting people with the YouTube videos. He's directly engaging with an audience. Right, yeah. There's that connection. And that's really, that's important. Like that, I mean, not everyone can, again, there are comedians who are really good writers, but you, for me anyway, when I walk away, I'm not really, I didn't get anything from it except for like a good joke. I was like, it was a good joke, but I wouldn't want to really hang out with him. But the best, the best comedians though, even the ones who are just like joke tellers, you could still see they're bonding with the audience. So, like, take the good a, ones. Yes, the good ones. Like, take a guy like Anthony Jeselnik. So he is telling these outrageous jokes that could infuriate any audience, but he makes sure he's like in there with the audience, like they're on his side. Or Louis C.K. in his last big special where he does the "but maybe" segment, he's totally saying this outrageous stuff, but he he basically says he warns the audience, "You're all in this with me now," because well, he's you, really telling a story. To yeah. You. I mean, he's really taken us on a journey, you know, like those that just sort of like they they do the jokes and then they're done. It's like we can tell and the audience can tell, too. You could sometimes and I'm talking about the ones that aren't that good. Right. You know, the ones who you just kind of go, okay. So so kind of the secret is building this glue 
from beginning to end. Like you sort of have that. I mean, you definitely have that with the glue is you 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 were you were white and then turned black somehow <laughs> so or vice versa like mm-hmm. you're the bilingual aspect that kind of is this theme that runs through your your act mm-hmm. basically uh, and i'm starting to lose some of it but not really i mean it's like now it's just the theme has been dating young guys for some reason cuz it's like <laughs> it's where i come from it's whatever i'm going through and whatever, oh, dating young white guys, I should say. So I guess yes, again, dealing with there. race. Yeah, it's still there. You know, and and race has even come up a lot in this in this conversation. Like you, like I, I said to you earlier, you went to University of Illinois, and then you went, you got a graduate degree at Syracuse. Uh, you, and I said, you're really well educated. And you said to me, why are you asking me that? Yeah, but that wasn't a racial thing. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm positive. Now you're making it racial. Now, okay, maybe I... That's I, my inter- black voice. Yeah. You're about to bring out uh, Shaniqua. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I interpreted it as a, as a racial thing. There's a, a joke uh, amongst uh, comics. Keith Robinson says this. There's two marinas. Your ex-boyfriend. Yes, definitely. <laughs> there's Pam. And then there's actually Monifa. So Pam is like, this is Pam right now, right? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> White voice. Yeah, and then Monifa's like, uh-uh, go around. <laughs> and I'll really, and that's that has to be in the moment. I can't do Monifa unless I am in the moment. So like, if I'm in a movie theater, like this did happen to us. We were in a movie theater at, um, and it was a foreign film, uh-huh. and this girl wanted to like get in the seat, I guess, and I was like really annoyed that she wanted me to move so I said no go around and that's still a little Pam that is still a little Pam because I'm not in the moment but I that was very like I remember him going who is that and then <laughs> but at the Magic Johnson theater this woman wanted to get in the scene and then Pam just was quiet then it was all Monifa <laughs> No, Pam, it, well, Monifa surrounded me. <laughs> oh, I see. So you couldn't, so you can't compete quiet. with. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. I was just like, given the situation, Monifa shows up, you know, or so. Pam, but you use both in an, in the act. Well, well, I will say this sometimes on, I've lost confidence in Monifa. <laughs> Why? Why do you think? Because every time, um. I go into sort of my black voice or what I what I am confidently think is my black voice. I have been ridiculed. Okay, but part of what makes you funny in the act is the fact that you're ridiculed for that. <laughs> so that's when you make fun of yourself yeah. for trying to talk black. Yeah. And you make fun of yourself for trying to talk white too. Yeah. So yeah. You're you're confused all I'm around, so and you confused. share that with the audience. I'm too old to be confused. No, you're not. But that's and that's my therapist is on break. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's why you're here. We're God. we're having a therapy session why right do now. They leave in August. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Mine, my wife's, we're all they're all on break right now. I don't know why they do it at the same time? It's not right. They 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 have a convention. Like they all go to like the Caribbean and exchange drugs and stuff like that. <laughs> so so they get ready for us when they're back. But it seems like the audience is gonna like that because the audience is confused. It's not like just you being confused and you see a therapist. The audience, they're all they're they're mentally in every direction. So they wanna know that again, if you were just like the best person in the world, the audience is not going to be as attracted. So it's the fact that you're this non-hero, the fact that you don't know 
whether you're you have this black identity or white identity or what your identity is supposed to be or what your identity is supposed to be for this audience, they like that. I would think. I like the way you put that. Yeah, see, I'm your I'm your therapy session yeah, you're this helping. month. Helping, I feel so. really good with you right now. <laughs> Thank good, you. good. <laughs> I hope you can translate this into your act, maybe. Yeah, well, it is true, you know, because I do find like if I have, oh god, sorry, my phone. That's the boy. Yeah. You can pick up your phone. We can record this listening to you. I don't uh, know who this is, actually. I fought with the boy. I call him the boy. What, what did you fight about? It's, oh, it's never ending. He's young. So what, what's the problem with a young, when, when there's a young boy? I've never dated a young boy. Oh, thank God. Because I, I, <laughs> I go for girls. I don't ever <laughs> see that. Um, well, uh, you know what it is? Oh, God. I don't even know where to begin. You know, it's just... Uh, <sighs> it's funny, though. Your mom went for a guy so much older. Older, yeah. So it's, this is a little bit of rebellion in you. Well, I'm a lot like my dad. Uh-huh. In that I date young. <laughs> okay, there you a go. I, you know, I really don't mean to date young. I say this on stage. I just aged well, and they do come at me. They don't know how old I am. So they see me, and they think I'm like... And I mean, as my boyfriend says, he says, I'm the I'm very immature. And it's probably true, but um, on some level. But he is at that age where you have to explain everything or you just watch them go through it. So it's like I have a child. Like that moment where you could you could explain everything to them, but you're like, no, just just go just go ahead and figure it out on your own. So I'm a little exhausted by that. So he wants to talk everything out every day. Oh, my God. He's from this. I think it's called the millennials. Is that what it is? They they want to know every emotion, everything. They want it broken down. And he wants to stop every moment and go, exactly why is that? Uh, Does he get insecure? Oh. So because you're out there like on the road, does he ever get like nervous? He's a comedian too. Okay. Like, so he knows the, the drill. You would think. <laughs> <laughs> is he a good comedian? Do you like his yeah, comedy? he's a good comedian. And he comes from a real honest place, which I like. I love mm. that about him. Mm. Uh, it's just, I would say, I, the the moment we had last night, and I, I don't mind sharing this, is that he is sort of new to the scene. Well, not, he's not in the club. And so there's some boundaries that I have with him that he's sort of crossing. Where it was like, let's say I'm hosting and he takes the water that I get for free because I'm hosting. He takes the water. Mm. I'm like, that's my water. And I'm at work. So. Does he ever host? Um, Do you ever take, you could take his water next time. Yeah, I guess. He does a show in the Hamptons, actually. And he he runs it. It's really nice at the Bay Street Theater. I think that's, yeah. And um, yeah, I'll go there. I'll go all the way out there and take all of the water. So you're, so you're dutiful. You're, uh, <laughs> now, how long did it take you before you realized, oh, I'm a stand-up, this is what I am, I'm a stand-up comic, and whatever that leads to? You know, it does take, it does take a while because I think, and I hate to bring this element in, and I appreciate the fact that you never even mentioned it, but I'm going to bring it in, and then it's going to go right out, right? Yes, I am white. No! <laughs> I, as a female comic, right, this is this is all I'm going to say, is it does take a while to realize that, because you are sort of like told that women aren't funny, 
I really didn't know that women weren't funny until I started doing comedy. And then I was like, oh, we're not funny? I didn't know that. Everyone always told me I was funny. So I'm just being funny. And then um, you sort of, like, realize that uh, the people, this is a perception that people have. Like, the audience would sometimes come up to me after the show and go, you're really funny. Women don't make me laugh. And I didn't know that was perception was out there. Well, do women make you laugh? Yes. So and that's why I didn't know that perception was out there. So that's why it took me a while to figure out, like, I knew I was funny, but it took me a while to sort of have that stamp of, like, yes, yeah, she is absolutely funny. Like, there was no one could take that away from me. So, 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 so again, how, how many years before this was like, okay, I've, I, I got over that hump where people now think I'm funny, and now I can start really pressing on this as a career? Hmm. I would say probably 11. 11 years. Yeah. Of, well, of, of working really, at it. Really, well, of, of really sort of being completely like, yes. And what were you, like, how were you making a living during those 11 years? I worked, I did, a, I, I had an office job. I had worked at a consulting firm. Um, I got laid off. And then, yeah, then you really commit to Then you have to be really funny. (laughs) Then you don't really have a choice. Funny or die. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, and I worked at a restaurant. I worked at Jekyll and Hyde. I worked at a theme restaurant for a while. But, but, no, I mean, like, okay, let me rephrase this because I think I'm getting off. It's like at at the point, I would say eight years, Mm. really, when the job was gone, okay, and really committed to it and getting work so you were getting work on the road um, like you had a manager booking your I had a manager actually mm-hmm. in the first year of doing comedy and would he be able to book gigs or was it slow no he wasn't he wasn't even around I had a manager but he didn't return my call so that's not good <laughs> so you can't make you can't make a living off of the manager yeah. that doesn't return so that, your calls yeah so the first year it was good to know that somebody thought I was funny yeah you, you, you know it's nice we all feel psychologically it's nice when someone chooses us. When someone in a who claims to be an authority figure says you're good. Yeah. So and I think it takes a while to know that I'm good without that authority figure. Yes. Then you could start choosing the people you trust, like the managers, the agents, the clubs and so on. But I think what I, what, what what really happens even when you have certain amount of success when you're when things are like concrete that you're doing it you still don't know if you're good. But I wonder if that's universal. And so, again, uh, sticking to comedy, because I can hit this in every area, but, like, when I was talking to to Jim, um, he was he seemed nervous about whether he was successful or not. And I'm like, Jim, you've done X, Y, Z, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3. How could you possibly be thinking you're not anything but, like, you know, a success? And I think there is always that that feeling because we're always trying to do more. And, you you know, you can, as a comedian, you, you're always wanting to get back on. So you don't want people to just sort of flatline with you at some point and just go, you're good. You know, cause because then there's a, there's the fear they might forget you, too. Like, oh, yeah, that was you. her act. I remember it. It was funny. It was six years ago. Oh, is she still around? Yeah, you can't. You don't want to, as an artist, you never want to just stay where you are. You want to grow. You want to get better. 
And so that, so the sign that you're growing and you're getting better is you're getting more things and you're doing more things. And there is a point in, in your career where things don't, things aren't really being offered or things aren't really sort of thrown at you. And you sort of hit like even a, a, a writing plat, like flat line. And well, so you, so you acknowledge that and you, if you're smart, you're aware of it. And then you go, I got to get better and I got to keep doing this and I can't, I got to, I got to keep moving. And so, yeah, you do reach a point where, yeah, you're like, am I good still? So that never stops. And how do you keep getting better? Well, that's, that's what makes the difference between a really good comedian and, and someone that was good, but you keep writing. Like Louis C.K. says, for instance, he follows the George Carlin model. He, re- he rewrites his act every year. Do you feel your a uh, need to do that? Yeah, you got to keep writing. You got to keep writing. And, and and there's a point where you, you're stuck. I'm a little stuck right now. You know, I'm a, at a point where, like, I could still, like we were just talking about, I could still talk about the racial dynamic of how I grew up. But I'm also at a point where I'm dealing with some other issues, you know, um... Being an older woman that doesn't look older. And <laughs> Wait, I you, you actually you look really it, young. I, I, I have to see I, you're looking at me. Uh, your eyes are blinking. You're like, what is she talking about? I have I have to ask that, and you don't have to answer. But how I'm old not are you? Answer. You're not going to answer. Okay, that's fair is enough. Great, Marina. <laughs> Marina, what is wrong? <laughs> okay, how old do you think she is, my, my, Claudia? Oh, oh my God, you don't do that either, right, Marina? Did no. you, she just called you crazy? <laughs> she said he has crazy. <laughs> no, but she knows she knows I call her out on her age. So how old do you think she is? I'm not gonna guess, but I'm gonna put her in her thirties. So, so thank you. Oh, you, you that just was you just got a big fan. That was the clearest thank you. That was the clearest sound that came through the speaker. Yes, that was really loud. She was like screaming and it. And it was very you. without an accent. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call her out. Can I call you out? She's 46 years old. She's beautiful. And she's younger than me. And that's young. Yeah, that's young. She's That's, that's how you know I'm not young is cuz I said that. You look 25 or below. Yeah, yeah, Marina, don't I say will you're older. You. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. So do I. I'm my best friend. <laughs> She, you know, it's funny. One time somebody wrote uh, an article about me um, where they were like very upset that uh, I, I took my 12 year old to a fashion show and we didn't have tickets, but somehow we got in. And this girl wrote a post saying, I only got into this fashion show because I was white. She had some issue. Mm-hmm. And I said to a friend of mine um, who, who gave me this advice that I should have written back an article saying, I'm deeply offended being married to uh, a woman of color, you know, um, which would have been sort of a joke because Claudia is obviously not uh, a woman of color, but she's from Argentina. So, uh, but I never did that. Best, the best policy is to ignore the haters. Yeah, although- you gotta ignore the haters. Hate, hate is so bad. But yeah, race is like one of those things you really... I've been trying to get away from it, actually. Well, you have to because if you do, if you if if you're gonna do it too much, people are just gonna think uh, of you in that way. Yeah, and I've had that on stage. But now you've had now you have the younger boyfriends thing. Yeah. 
So what I mean, but that's hard too because you're you have to I also sound like put a some pedophile for fifteen minutes, and and also you have to put some distance between the event and the writing. I would imagine, or maybe not. Yeah, the audience is asking for a breath. <laughs> they, <laughs> talk about my young boyfriend. Right, like he's right there. He's in the audience. <laughs> yeah, they're like, they're like, can you take a break from talking about your young boyfriend and tell us about how you couldn't open your door today, please? So yeah, there's that. You know, you just, it's its a moment where, and like I, I think I told you this, I'm working on a pilot. Right. So that has sort of also taken me off from the stand-up sort of because I'm, but not really, but it's like really delving into a different style of writing for 10 weeks I've been doing that. Well, that's interesting because you have to do, um, and again, I think this applies to any profession, but people forget this. You have to do many things to do one thing. So to be good at comedy, it's not like you're just going to be a good stand-up comic and nothing else. You have to be a writer. You have to be an actor. You have to be uh, almost the audience's therapist at the time. So so tell me about your, your pilot. What's that about? Well, I'm not going to tell you too much because it's I'm going to steal the idea. Pilot. <laughs> it's a spec, really. Um, and so, but I will tell you that the process of writing has been incredible. It's my life, but it's like sitting down and I'm, I definitely put on the weight, but sitting down and writing, develop, developing relationships, the story is so much fun and, and bringing it all to life in the script. I didn't realize I was actually good at it. I'm good at it. And I love it because I've always done that. I've always had these stories in my mind. I've o- My life has always been interesting to me. I know I'm very patting myself on the shoulder <laughs> while I say this, but I absolutely love... Well, audiences have agreed with you, so you're allowed to say that. And it's, so it's just nice to write it down. It's mm-hmm. nice to write it down in a in a more connected way where I don't have like... What did you say? Nine seconds to have right. him connect with me. I actually can build like a story. I can have a beginning, a middle, an end. I have relationships. I have a, a father in the story. I have friends in the story. I have a, a boyfriend in the story. I have the boyfriend's mother in the story. You know, so all of those things are starting to really develop. And trusting my instincts with writing has been like s- challenging. And it, it's it's freeing. It's like it's almost th- it's it is therapeutic. It's I almost fired my therapist during this writing session. Actually, it was that freeing because the therapist was not so good at the time, or because you felt like you just didn't need him I mean, or her anymore. When you're getting it out, mm-hmm. like when you're actually getting out, getting it out. Because, like I said, in high school, I wrote a lot of poetry. I stopped. I haven't really written like. You know, doing comedy, I just do stand. I don't write my poetry. So getting it out in a written form is like that, in that depth. You know, like 30 pages is heavy. And it's very freeing. It's like you're getting all of those thoughts, those subconscious thoughts are starting to come out on page. All those feelings that you sort of like kind of hit away, you sort of bring out. It's interesting because with with something like a sitcom, you can't kind of really delve into kind of the subtleties of, let's say, novel writing or short story writing. Did you consider doing it that way? What, novel writing? Yeah, like some kind of other type of writing other than, you know, with a sitcom, it's mostly dialogue. 
um, right, as opposed is, to kind of like what everybody's thinking and feeling and yeah and I don't think sick I, I, I don't write in the style of like like sitcom like you know like ABC like you know like laughter in the can type sitcom I don't write like that so it's it's a little yeah it's more like you were saying like novel right like and I have considered writing a book um, I did write a one woman show actually a couple of years ago but I didn't really finish it it's in the closet to have you try performing it? I did perform it. I performed it a whole weekend, uh, actually, at the comic strip. I did, but I got mad at my director, and then that was a, a moment. The, he, <laughs> he, uh, how did you get mad at your director? Well, because he was trying to write it, and it, the way I write, I come from a lot of truth. So I didn't, see, I didn't understand why he was trying to change my truth for me. So were you so were you sort of like playing more on the fact that you had developed this rapport with the audience and he was trying to just make you one liners or was there there some conflict I, there? I think what it was was he didn't he he was trying too hard to to be right and to be a director in the label of being a director. And just, you know, it's scary when you're trying to direct someone and tell them how to because you can either choose to make it a relationship or you could choose to be the person that's telling you what to do. Why did you need a director? Why couldn't you just say, hold a camera here, I'm going on stage there, do what I tell you to do? Because it was a different style, it was something new, mm. and I needed feedback while I was rehearsing it. Because if I don't, and I needed to get it up on its feet, and having someone there was helping me to do that, having someone to give me, like, immediate feedback. But he was starting to give feedback that was changing the actual story. Why didn't you get feedback from your many comedian I friends? I did eventually, and then when they came to the show, they all said, we don't like him. Huh. Okay, so that was a strong <laughs> so that sign. that was, like, the best feedback I could have gotten from this show. They were like, trust your instincts. That's what I got from that. And so I did put that away. I, I may bring that back out, but... um. And it was really, really good, you know. Um, but the trusting the instincts part of writing has been, like, the, the best part. And that's what I'm about to go through for another six weeks, actually. I'm going to go back to my script, my pilot that I'm working on, and, and change some things and go back to what I kind of knew was always good about it and really flush it out. And I'm just excited about that. And do you have anybody uh, waiting for the script? Like, is there a network or is there... Yes. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what network? No. I'm going to guess. If I guess, you don't have to say yes or no, but like FXX? Oh, no. Okay. All right, Comedy Central? That sounds nice, though. FXX does sound nice, right? Yeah. The League, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. Louie. All good shows. So, What's your, what's your favorite sitcom right I'm now on TV? I'm shaking my head for the audience <laughs> to know. <laughs> I can't get anything out of you. And I'm just shaking my head because I right. don't have the visual. <laughs> let, let, let me veer off. A lot of people say they want to be stand-up comics. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people just want to go up there and be funny and be instant stand-up comics. And you're saying it took you 11 years before you were like really kind of almost comfortable on that stage calling yourself that. So why do you think so many people, A, think they can just go up there and do it, and B, uh, what advice would you give them? Well, I think they think they can do it because their friends tell them they're funny and that they can do it. A lot of people know they're funny, and they're, 
they say, hey, you know, you're funny. Do it. Um, what was the second part? What advice would you give them? Don't. <laughs> Don't do it. But I, I sort of feel like everybody. Don't do it. I sort of feel like everybody says that about every profession. Like, oh, you want to be a writer? Don't do it. You want to be an actor? Don't do it. You want to be an entrepreneur? Don't do it. Like, to be good at anything is really hard and brutal. Like, how many times, and and try to actually come up with a number, how many times have you been rejected from something you wanted to do in comedy? A lot. Deep pause. <laughs> Well, because I love that you with the numbers. God, I love you. You're, are you a um, mathematician? Uh, no, but I did major in computer science in college. God. <laughs> you and numbers. I used to love math, by the way. But I would say, uh, mm, ooh, that's a heavy one. Because there's denial in that number. They, well, you know, it's. I, I will say for I'm me, think. like I, I've done a lot of entrepreneurial stuff. So let's say I've started about... 20 businesses and probably 17 of them were complete failures like just bombs where and when you fail as an entrepreneur you let everyone down like yeah, it's horrible that's hard yeah, but I, but but okay you move on and persistence you know i always sort of feel love plus persistence gets you eventual abundance and i think the same thing happens in any profession like look you how did you persist for 11 years in comedy when you didn't feel yet, like you were full-fledged, this guess, is your title, stand-up comic. I guess the reason I can't really come up with a number is because there was nothing definitively bad. Like, there was nothing that said that it wasn't going well. So if I was to really think of, like, the sets bombing, right, does not mean that th th those there was a lot of bombing. So that if we went into the number of times I bombed, when I started and and into today, ooh, that number is up there. Um, but, but but that's interesting though because a lot of people would say I think I think you know and there's there's studies on this. People are in two people are in the trenches in a war and uh, one goes off after the war and becomes a successful person whatever. The other person goes home and kills himself. So and they do lots of studies on these pairs like what what constitutes failure and how do people deal with failure so a, a bomb i'm going to define it in a different way you failed for that audience and but you don't even call it that like you call it your bombing and you go on to the next one it's persistence well it's so, also awareness awareness of what of what you're doing like you if you bomb if you're aware that you you're bombing does not mean you're not funny then you will continue so you have to have like an understanding hmm and an awareness of what is bad. What so, is really, really bad. Like, like sort of like, I, I heard Jim Norton's podcast, you know, like he's talked at the uh, state, the union address at Montreal about sort of like the business shutting the door and saying no to you. You, that is a, that is a number that is very clear, right? That is something like, let's say when I did last comic standing and I, this was years ago, and I didn't go on. That was the first real sort of like, no. Well, you went there and they said, we don't want you on? I went there. I went all the way through to the like, semifinals. I went, flew to L.A. I was, at, I think, like the top 20 or maybe 10 or something like that. But I wasn't voted to go into the house. And that was like a real moment where I was like, someone said no to me. Like a real, like, and it wasn't like something that I could 
sort of define or understand or it was like but that's interesting I'm going back and that's, there's nothing I could do about it that's like though that's an authority figure saying no as opposed to the audience saying exactly. no so when you bomb the audience is saying no and you have enough confidence that that you you learn from it it's like it's like let's say you were a tennis player and you lose a game you're going to go back through the your coach is going to have you go back through the video and say here's what you did wrong here's where you could have i don't know swung a little harder or whatever but you're still going to think I'm a good tennis player right. there's that awareness but if you lose wimbledon every single time you're going to start to feel I'm a bad tennis player or I'm not good enough somehow. Now, there are some comedians that bomb early on in, in, in a way that they have no awareness that the bomb was like, there's no coming back from, the, like, you're just bad. I, I actually envy those people because they seem very happy. Because they can move on. <laughs> or they or they don't move on and they just stay happy. They say ignorance is bliss. I mean, they're so happy, but they don't realize how awful they are. And they keep going. But after you bombed, you go back through and think, what did I do wrong? Like, what could I have done yes, better? I do. Like last record. time you bombed, what what? Oh, you, so you record? I don't even do anything like that. I should do stuff like that when I speak. But like, what what? Do, last time you bombed, what did you learn from it? The last time I bombed, let's see, which was ten years ago. No, I've bombed recently because I'm I'm working on a lot of new material. Uh-huh. So I would say, okay, I can remember now. I was at this club, and I would say I, I didn't listen to that set, but I felt it. I would say the thing I learned from that was I really didn't try. And I really didn't. It was me in a, a different place. That That's what I knew. Wait, wait in the Hamptons? <laughs> <laughs> what, well, I was grabbing my boyfriend's water? Yeah, and you started performing. <laughs> I, was, I was more focused on his water than actually doing well on stage. And that's why I bombed, yes. Now, I... Uh, I was focused. I was focused in on my script. Quite honestly, hmm. I was thinking about the pilot. I wasn't thinking about the stage, and I, I neglected the audience. So I knew that hmm. was what was going on. So it wasn't the the words. It wasn't the jokes. No. It was the audience rapport. You it fell short. It was my short. fault. It was my fault. I really didn't care about connecting that day. What could you have done to connect? Uh, known that that's what I was doing, hmm. right? And changed it. Changed my attitude. Because attitude plays into it a lot. So that's all that is. Is like switching. Like like last night I told you, I said I'm sick. I have a cold, summer cold. Because I'm touching all these train poles. Right? So last night, right before getting on stage, I could have chosen. And it, there was a moment. Because you know you're fighting a, a head cold. There was a moment of going, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like connecting with this audience like at all. I just want to get through it. I'm just going to sort of do this set, do the material, and be out. But I knew. I said, no, 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 that's not fair. You have a job to do. You need to turn up your energy a little bit and go out there and connect, though. Come from that place of where you're at. Started talking about the head cold. Told them I was on a lot of drugs. You know, they're with me. They're having fun. And so that was an attitude adjustment. That's all that was. So So that that was a win. Part of that was... Being really authentic with the audience. So going right out there and saying, I'm sick, but we're going to have fun. Yeah. and But there's that it's always about awareness. Because I remember even coming off stage, I because I Louis came, they each were trying to shake my hand. I said, I'm not going to shake your hand. I'm not going to do it because I'm sick. You know, um, and Louis thought as I was going to shake his hand, I remember his, the sh- <laughs> he's, he's so adorable to me because his eyes was like, 
Like, you you don't want to shake my hand? And, and then I I thought I was very clear. I thought it was very verbal about how I was sick, but he didn't hear it because he's thinking about his set. And then when he, he leaves, he goes to shake my hand again. And I said, no, I'm saying, he goes, oh, I guess you just don't do this. And I was like, I had to tell him off stage. I was like, no, Louis, I'm sick. It's he funny. Goes, I didn't know you were sick. You don't seem sick. It, it's funny how he put it, though, because... Like, there are things he doesn't do. Like, uh, like for instance, he won't take photographs with people. No. He'll try to engage them in the conversation, but he won't stand there for a photograph. And so, um, uh, was his set funny? Oh, his set was funny. But, I, 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 I mean, he kills. He's just so, but he's so great. But it's just like, the, the fact that, and the point I'm making is, the fact that he didn't realize I was sick meant that I was doing my job. Hmm. You know? And it, that's all that is. I mean... Because I know I can be that person who will let everyone know exactly what I'm going through. I love to complain. I am the queen of complaining. But, you know, then it's sort of like awareness plus authenticity. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're aware that your energy's low, right? So, because if you had just gone up there and tried to do your thing, maybe it wouldn't have been as good. But you went into the audience totally authentic and said, this is what's happening right now, but we're going to... We're going to do this. We're in it together. We're going to do this together. And I think that sort of, again, applies to everything. Like, that applies to success in general. That that touching that awareness with authenticity yeah, is important. Because you will, if you start focusing on that number, like you said, right, you can get very depressed. So I think it's more important to just every moment that happens— have awareness about that moment, do something about it, change your attitude, and just move on and leave it in the past. You know, because... This is very critical. Can you just... Like, this is the most important thing. Like, it's, it's a critical know, for I'm success. I'm very smart. So you, you are. You're, you're, you're highly educated. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're well-spoken. <laughs> See? Um, so, so having that awareness... You know, and really being, you know, and really connecting moment. with it. Yeah, in the moment. And that will prevent you from looking at it as a failure in the most heaviest way. Now, there is failure that is, like, very clear and hard to walk away from, obviously, you know. But you can still, even then, if you just take a, take a moment and just think about it and how you're going to move on from that. Just, you know, sometimes you have to just sit with it for a moment. But the next day, how you get up from that is 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 how you succeed. I feel part of that awareness has to come with experience, too, because you have to be actually aware that, A, something went wrong, and B, what went wrong. So yeah, And yeah. then see how to fix it. Yeah. How are you going to get up and move? And, and have experience of getting up and moving and knowing that by getting up and moving, there'll be further successes in the future. So it's living in the moment, but knowing that living in that moment in, in an aware way will get you success in the future, having a little faith in that. Yeah, you have to have a little faith. The faith is very, very important. And go yeah. for a walk. Yeah. Just go for a walk. And, it, you know, it's because it, it can be hard. I mean, like, I had a moment this year. There was something that I could have done that I didn't do that I was just like, you look at it and you get a little sad about it and you... You hear, you know, all these other people are doing it and you're not doing it. And you're thinking, why am I not getting what they're getting? And all you have to do is refocus, you know, maybe go for a walk, run, write a poem, 
refocus, talk. Talk to who? Talk to, well, the therapist <laughs> who's on vacation. Or... Where? Get him on the phone. Where's the therapist? She. She. <laughs> she. Look at you. Now you're sexist. I thought you said he earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. Carol. Uh, or you talk to someone who you've always relied on, who's always had the best advice. Like fellow comedians? Yeah, fellow comedians. I always talk to fellow comedians. Like who do you talk to? Mentor. My friend Keith. Mm. The one who I fight with. The ex. <laughs> I know. It's a very funny relationship. <laughs> but we fight. But I do talk to him. He's very good. At like sort of like turning a situation around. He's always been good at that. So so essentially, and this is it's funny because this relates a lot to things I recommend in completely different categories. But, you know, uh, having some exercise, being, you know, healthy, taking that walk, talking to people who you trust and respect and who are legitimately supportive of you. So even though he's an ex and, you know, he's legitimately supportive of what you want to do and he wants to help. Um Maybe uh, my guess is part of your process is being creative. So you you get back to writing, you get back to what you're doing, and then you have to kind of uh, have some sense of not necessarily faith in a religious sense, but faith that if you do all if all these things come together, you're going to be able to move forward. Exactly, absolutely. And having all of that today, so like the day after, let's say, of a bombing or whatever. Not well, a not a real like, like a book terrorist in bombing, the moment, but it's a little hard to put all that. Look, you you do have to be. If you're sad, it's okay to be sad. You can't like look. Failure is not easy to handle. In the moment that it happens, you're sad, you know. And if you fight that, then you aren't aware actually. So you have to sort of be sad about something for that moment and just you know cry, whatever you scream, you know, hug your cat. <laughs> I don't have a cat, but I hug Claudia child, out there. Your daughter. <laughs> yes. That I love. She's my fan. Oh, yes, she is. <laughs> and then. They were really surprised that you were coming on my. He, she, why is she coming on your podcast? Like, oh, who are you? She's so sweet. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so that you take that moment, have, you know, that's an acting thing, too. That came from, by the way, theater school. Learning to just be in the moment. It's just so important. And then you just take a deep breath and figure it out. And the way you figure it out is all those things we just said is talk to a friend. They're all very important. Awareness. Hug your cat. <laughs> now I I, cat. I was I saw on one interview you were taping your conversation with your taxi cab driver. Maybe this was with Todd Barry, the podcast with oh, Todd Barry. Was, no, this is oh, that was with Champs. That's with Neil Brennan. Oh, okay. And and do you carry around a tape recorder and tape things all the time for material? Oh, for material? Like you mean like do I go out on the street and just yeah. record situations? No, yeah. I just was a little crazy. So you just decided moment. to like tape like, this cab was like so outrageous. I lost my awareness that day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, that is something I have a little bit of um, I'm one of those women that will like I write letters of complaints and I follow up. It's like you pointing, yeah, pointing I was, to Claudia. I spent like I think five hours on the phone last week about my nasal spray. And that's why I sound like this. It and wasn't working. No, I want Rhinocore Aqua 32, exactly the brand name. Did and you write that down out there? <laughs> and they're trying to give me the generic form, and I don't want the generic form. So I've been on, I've been debating this whole thing. 
health insurance. So I will spend hours. I'll record. Yeah, I'll. So the cab driver that day, I think what happened was he didn't have a photograph on his thing, which was very scary to me. Mm-hmm. So I started recording the conversation so I could play it in court later. I see. Yeah, you had it all planned out, like have, lawyers, I'm, jail, I'm prison, of, everything. I go right to the place where I guess black people don't go. Like I remember in that. I guess in that part. You're like an infuriated Jewish person. Yes, I am. <laughs> so, yeah. But I, I do go to that place. Where I was like, I think in that recording, I said something about like, I will get the cops on you, which is crazy. Yeah, and you're getting, you're enlisting the help of like other cab drivers. Like, do you see this? Yes. So do you? You can hear the insanity in my, in my voice. No, but it, it happens. It happens to, to all of us. Yeah. So, so what? What's? So I wanna, I wanna do something for you. I wanna plug something. What's? What what can we what can we plug? What can we promote here? Well, I I definitely want to promote my podcast. Can I do that? Yeah, yeah, podcast? sure. Is that allowed? Friends like us, Friends great like podcast. Us, uh, it's on iTunes. It's just new. It's starting, so we're developing, and it's finally getting its real legs. Like it's good. It's like what do you I think makes have... a good podcast? I think what makes a good podcast is if you're giving something to someone at home. Like, if I'm listening to this, if you're listening to this and you feel like you learned something, you took something away. If you felt like today, listen, see, this is how I grab my audience. You see that? <laughs> Look what I'm doing. Yeah. If you felt like today you failed and you didn't know how to step out of it, you just got depressed and you didn't know how to move on, maybe this podcast could help you. Maybe you could go out and get a cat. <laughs> there you go. So that's what makes a good... What else can I plug? I, uh, I, I I need more Twitter followers. How many Twitter followers do you have? Not enough. That's <laughs> like saying my age. You know, I'm kind of embarrassed. No, no. Tell me how many Twitter followers. I'm going to give you advice right now. Okay. I have 4,080-something. I know. That, that, when did you get on Twitter? A while ago. Like maybe four... Maybe three years ago. But you probably haven't been that active on Twitter. Uh, you know what I would recommend is you should do a Q&A on Twitter. So announce to everybody, announce to all your Twitter followers and on your Facebook page and stuff, I'm going to do on this date at this time an hour-long Q&A about comedy. You could ask me about comedy. You could ask me about Louis C.K. You could ask me about uh, the upcoming Judd Apatow movie, uh, Amy Schumer. Ask away Monday from 2 to 3. I will answer all of your questions, and I won't stop until I answer all the questions. Then you'll get a lot of new Twitter followers. That makes me want to hug my cat. (laughs) (laughs) Try that. You'll see. And it's funny because then you can practice being funny in 140 characters uh, because you'll get nonstop questions. Yeah. So, and then... um, Should I change my name? Because it's Marina. This is so your listeners know. It's Marina Y. Franklin. Was there a Marina Franklin taken? Yes, some uh, Brazil Brazilian. She's Brazilian. No, Argentinian. I look at Marina. <laughs> no, no. Marina, she, give the thumbs down. Yeah, because so, Brazilian is uh, they. That's Portuguese. So. Como vai to the bang? Yeah, she's Spanish. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so she has it. I'm and someone said that if you don't have your name. People don't want to do the extra work to look you up. You should have your actual name. But you know what, though? People will type in Marina Franklin, and they'll see Marina Y. Franklin. So, so, so they will? I, they'll, they'll find you. I wouldn't worry about that. Okay. I thought that was—I was hoping that was the reason. No, no. It's not the reason. Oh, no. You have to You have to really go out there and engage with them. The other thing you have to do 
is um, you should write about comedy on popular sites. And you should say in the middle of the article, please follow me on Twitter because I also have regu- I also answer your questions about comedy on Twitter. Oh and then God, pe- I don't you, know if I could do that. It's hard. It's hard to ask, but p- thousands of people will follow you on Twitter from that. That's how I built up a, a Twitter following initially. Wow. So oh, I just want them to just like me. Do I have to give them advice all the time? Uh, it helps cuz they right. like you more for that. <laughs> I figured this would be the way talking to you. That that will help too. Believe me, that <laughs> everybody follow Marina Fra- nice. Marie, at Marina Y Franklin. Please follow her, Please follow and we me. just set up your Wikipedia page, so that will help a little bit as well. And check out, and you can still go to Netflix. Netflix, that's right. Women, uh, women who kill, and also, oh, I have to do this one. Um, my friend, my one of my closest friends in comedy, Bonnie McFarlane, who's married to Rich Voss, just did a show called Women Aren't Funny. She did it years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw the, the trailers coming. The movie's coming out, like, in a few days, right? Yes. You can pre-order it now, and it's on iTunes. Okay, Women Who Aren't Funny. That's the thing to promote, because that's coming out in a couple of days. Yes, and I'm in that. So, okay, how 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 much of you are in that? I, I don't know. How many of your personalities it. are in <laughs> I that? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, and everyone's, everyone's told me about it. Everyone said that I'm really good. I'm one of those people, like, I... Sometimes I can't watch myself, so but I, I will watch this. Oh really? Like you're you're one of those I have never I have been on a, a ton of things. I've never once watched myself and it's a real failing. Like I, I need to be aware. Like I need to sort of examine my faults. I and force myself to watch myself at times. That's a skill. It's a hard thing to do. But I've heard people have told me that it's very funny, it's good. So that's something that's coming out soon, so check that out. Okay, good. And so, Marina at Marina Y. Franklin on Twitter. On Twitter. And um, uh, Women Who Aren't Funny, or Women Aren't Funny. What's the, what's the title of the movie? I think it's Women Aren't Funny. By Bonnie on McFarlane. iTunes. It'll be on iTunes. If you can't find it, you can go actually to my Twitter page, Marina Y. Franklin, and you can find it there. Yes, and... We'll link to it when we put up this podcast. When's the movie coming out? We'll put the podcast up around then. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think pre-order. I think I saw August fifteenth around there. Okay. Oh, so, look at you. Yeah, I'm, I did my homework on you a little bit, tiny bit. So. <laughs> Stalker <laughs> in the room with me. Yes. So, well, I really appreciate you coming on. I was Thank really happy you. that you agreed, and thanks very much. Thank you for having me. And Shake a dang dang. <laughs> that's your that's your 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 voice, your your Manifa voice. Shake a dang dang. For more from James, check out the James Altucher show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.